Hi again, and welcome to another episode of the Government Transformation Show, the podcast for public sector changemakers. Delighted to say that joining me today are my guests, Harry Taylor and Hark Singh from the Big Data Specialists at Palantir Technologies. We're going to be exploring government data, how it can go from insight to real operational outcomes. What are some of the challenges that government agencies face? How can they overcome them? How can they unlock the potential? How can they manage the government's piece? All big issues that government agencies are wrestling with right now. And Harry and Hark have dealt with numerous agencies over the course of the past few years so have huge insights to share. Loads to get into, so let's jump into that conversation right now. So, Harry Hart, welcome to the Government Transformation Show. Great to have you joining us today for this conversation. Pleased to be here. Lovely to be here. Thanks. Well, looking forward to drilling into a bit of uh, an exploration around data, data in government. What does government do well? What could it do better? How are you? What are you seeing? How are you supporting government in their sort of data odyssey? Um, but let's let's set the scene first with some quick intro. So, perhaps you could both just give us a quick intro around yourself. Uh, you know. What are you doing with Palantir, your key focus of your role? Uh, Harry, maybe you could you could give you a quick intro first. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks a lot. Hey, I'm Harry uh, and with Hark, I co-head uh, our UK central government business here at Palantir. Uh, I've been here for five years uh, following a career in financial services, although my formal training and my early jobs were in structural engineering. So I'm a, I'm a mixed bag. Interesting background. So Hark, what's your route into Palantir? Hey Tim, yeah, I'm I'm Hark Singh. Um, so yeah, as 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 Harry mentioned, uh, I co-lead the UK central government with him, um, and very pleased to be here. Um, I'm a software engineer by training, uh, which lends uh, well to my focus on uh, on the technical and IT community uh, at our customers. Um, and 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 you know what I've been doing in Palantir. You know, I joined ten years ago um, as I would say a wide-eyed uh, engineer looking to uh, solve the most pressing problems with with data and, and software, and, I, and to a large extent still feel the same way, which is which has been uh, an interesting an interesting ride here. Um, and for me personally, you know, for the past few years, um, I've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to work across you know our business and IT leaders. Um, to really figure out, you know, where they are in their transformation journey and and what we can do to them to sort of accelerate that and support that. And every customer has their own unique um, set of um, sort of processes and, and how they conduct business. And it's been uh, it's been it's been a very interesting journey for me as well. Fantastic. And and that journey over ten years, and, and particularly when we when we turn to look at the sort of public sector and government, you know, a huge amount has changed. And and so be interesting to start by looking at kind of where we're at now, I suppose, particularly around that, that data use in government. What are you seeing in terms of how government and government departments and agencies are approaching and working with these data projects? What do, What's the kind of key themes that jump out at you? So I think um, maybe to frame my answer, Palantir as a software company, um, our three software offerings are sets of building blocks. They're, they're cloud native services that our customers use to do three things. Um, firstly, massively accelerate their data programs. So, um, you know, really thinking kind of 10 times speed on digital transformations. Secondly, securely govern and control that data, uh, their data using security that's trusted by many of the world's most sensitive and secure institutions, and then target their data at real outcomes rather than sort of create academic projects or products in a void. And we call that latter point operationalizing data. Um, and that's going to come up again and again as we speak. So I think 
with that as context, going into um, sort of government's approach to data, I think one thing that I see that goes on in government is there's there's a conflation of digital services with data projects. And the difference is, is, is obvious when you describe them, but in their setup within government, they normally look the same. So government is pretty good at the former, the digital services. And sometimes I wonder if that crowds out the data projects a bit too much. Um, if you take a couple of examples, I contrast the digital project as something like booking a vaccination online versus a data project like how do I decide which hospital during COVID needs the next shipment of precious PPE in the pandemic? And those two are obviously very different. So digital pro projects, I would say, tend to take a process that needs to happen and smooth it using technology. Whereas data projects take information, importantly, often information from digital projects, uh, and use it to drive a decision and an outcome. Um, and they can augment digital projects in different ways. So you can help the customer experience by serving them relevant pieces of data as they go through a digital process to guide them uh, or reduce their work. Um, secondly, you can provide intelligence into a digital process uh, or into the operations that might be triggered by a digital process. Um, and then thirdly, you can use data to measure the effectiveness of a digital process. So for example, thinking about how government can use data and, and have a differentiation between digital and data. Um, using a very live example, you've got the number of backlogs around government right now, thanks to COVID, uh, right? You've got elective care, you've got courts and tribunals, you've got passports, visas, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and a digital solution might let you see uh, and book available operating theater space and hospital more easily, right? And, and that would reduce error, it would reduce time spent, friction, etc. But a data solution could help cross-reference the booking with more detail, it could help optimize the matching of theater space with personnel and equipment and the severity of the need. Um, and finally, of course, it could then tell you if your process needs tweaking by measuring how well it's all going. And I see those th those two things as, as fundamentally different um, and government needs to approach those projects in different ways. That's a really interesting and, and helpful distinction because I think you can see how there's a temptation to just mush everything together into this kind of exciting world of digital and, and not understand what each is for, how you approach each, you know, where, the, where there's a different approach and so on. So useful to kind of draw the line through those different areas of government activity. And I think interested to sort of see, well, okay, government's doing some of these things en masse, you know, a huge amount of digitalization of public services, some enforced by COVID. Um, but then there are areas still, particularly around the data piece, where there's the scope for improvement. And I think interestingly you, you know you came from sort of financial services background as well and that's often the area that's held up as being an area to learn from and has perhaps made some real strides you know thinking about banking and things like that where the days of having to queue in your branch to do the most basic things have sort of passed and I think we're, we're getting to that point now with, with government and public sector services uh, and sort of data-driven insights as well so what's what's the private sector doing well perhaps that that government isn't around these kind of big data-driven projects um so I, I, I think first off, the main thing, the commercial market is getting right. Um, and actually, I think, I think the, the US government is getting right 
is the use of commercial software first. Um, so become a partner with commercial software firms and then leverage those top software companies for more than just their products. So the UK government, for example, um, might want to consider upskilling a contractual requirement for engaging with it. You know, at Palantir, you can't buy a capability implementation of our software without including training hours, for example. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's just the kit and, and away you go. So, Hark, how do you build on that? What's what's the next phase of that of that development? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think just to put put what Harry's saying into context in terms of data projects, and you know, it's not uncommon to see departments here in the UK going to market uh, for uh, three to four year long um, projects just to build the data platforms or digital twins or uh, or data catalog solutions and. And more often than not, um, they have requirements embedded deep into them, uh, actually favoring what I would like to call uh, favoring building these platforms with sticks and stones. And you know, what do I what do I mean by that? And you know, just taking an analogy from you know my you know sort of my personal background, which is uh, you know before I joined public sector was in automotive, which is like say you you're someone who whose ambition is to uh, travel a long distance, right? That's how you sort of, like, you know, will we'll get value out of life. Um, and in order to do that quickly um, and efficiently, you decide you need to build a car. Uh, and the car needs to be customized to your needs and requirements as they are unique. Um, there's no other car in the market um, that that fits fits the bill. Um, so you decide that you want to build your car yourself. And, you know, now that that's, it wouldn't be the same conclusion I would jump onto personally, but let's just roll with it, right? So, you know, you decide you build, you want to build your car. Um, so you go to the market and you buy nuts and bolts, springs, aluminum, uh, rubber, all the basic raw materials. And and it takes you three years to make to make this car. It breaks often um, uh, because it's the first time you built a car. Uh, it takes a lot of time, effort, and money just to keep it running. And you realize that uh, you're actually not able to fully uh, achieve your original goal, which is to travel a long distance. So the question. To the, to, to the departments is that, is that a wise thing to do? And to be clear, I'm not debating about build versus buy, which is often uh, you know, a false dichotomy from our, from our perspective in the industry. It's, it's important that departments and organizations build platforms that they have complete control over, uh, that suit their need, uh, their unique needs and requirements. I think it's, what I'm debating is that we can enable departments to build smarter uh, with, with better tools so you can focus on traveling the distance versus keeping the, uh, the car barely operational. Um, so, you know, instead of building with nuts and bolts, buy a steering wheel or, or an engine or an infotainment system, build with higher building blocks and configure them to suit your needs. Makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I think th there's an area I think I'd like to touch on here, and it, it has to kind of come up somewhere, which is around, there's, there's an inherent kind of conservatism around government, any digital and data-driven project, because... There are issues around security and governance. And in a sense, public sector as a custodian of data is almost under more scrutiny than any other sector in terms of how they how they treat it, how they look after it. So what's your take on how government has to manage that that perception and to, to really be effective in managing data and governance? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I often see is uh, the focus on data and security comes at the cost of innovation. And, and from our perspective, or what we want to sort of, you know, the message we want to communicate to the, to, to the departments is that it doesn't need to. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's true that, you know, the expanding surface area of digital services, as, as Harry alluded to earlier, 
also means the department are collecting more data on citizens than ever before, right? And, and this makes governance of data the top priority of almost all the CDOs um, that perhaps you talk to and certainly uh, whom I talk to. And almost everyone uh, in the civil service has a deep sense of responsibility about this fact. And they're committed to making sure that uh, this data should be handled carefully and misused, prevented at all costs. And you know, after all, as you mentioned, that's foundational to the trust uh, the citizens have in the system. So, you know, at the same time, you know, the problems that governments have to solve today uh, require radically different and data-driven approaches. For instance, uh, countering fraud. Uh, there was an immense amount of fraud that entered um, the system after the pandemic. Uh, or, you know, making the borders more effective post-Brexit um, or leveling up, you know, uh, areas outside of London. These are fundamentally data problems requiring teams and departments uh, to get access to more data and collaborate, collaborate on it uh, effectively. So there's a natural tension at play here, right, uh, which is, you know, which is quite visceral in the government because of its uh, focus on proper use of data. On one hand, there's a desire uh, to, to, to innovate and provide better uh, public services in, in, in a digital manner, and that necessitates more developers getting access to more data. Uh, and on the other hand, you, you need to make sure that you're keeping up with the commitment uh, of appropriate use. Um, so you need strong governance around that. So, you know, it has been my observation, um, uh, which is like the departments are left with solving this tension using uh, paper-based processes or, or sort of like manual heavy heavyweight processes on, on governance and, and so on, which, which really, uh, I would say, add friction to, to sort of like the, the whole innovation agenda. And, you know, to, to contrast the situation with, I would say, you know, the situation which NHS was in where, you know, the NHS's vaccination program was delivered on our software as foundation. They were at a similar crossroads. Uh, you know, they had data around uh, who is the most vulnerable in the country, for instance. So vaccines can be delivered to them where they needed uh, to literally save more lives than you know another decision, but also the health records of of, of the citizens—they're one of the most sensitive data assets we can have. The government can have. So, the NHS was able to resolve this tension and deliver an excellent vaccination program by restricting usage of data based on purposes, which is you know all requests for data uh, that is especially sensitive data has to be documented for a specific purpose with the precision that is proportionate to that purpose and for the right amount of time and and the governance officers need to have access to you know full uh sort of like audit logs of, of sort of say that how the data is being used so they can see you know if it's being used or misused so i suppose to summarize uh, there's a way to democratize data responsibly um either to build new public services or to experiment with new innovations the market has to offer uh, but without losing control if you have of you know the proper um, I would say tooling landscape in, in, in use. Yeah and I, I suppose how the, the next question then is how does that sort of clarity transparency of how you're collecting processing and using data then play through into kind of outcomes in terms of okay you've done a data-driven project how are you measuring success you know how are you integration visualization all of those kind of tools there mm. I suppose what we're saying is what does success look like? Uh, a slightly punchy answer, but I would say, how does a company evaluate something? You know, look at the income statement. So to, to be controversial and, and deliberately go too far in, in the other direction, I'd almost say 
you shouldn't evaluate a data project on technical grounds you know how much data how good is the integration etc cetera, etc cetera, because they should only really be evaluated on the return on investment in the real world um, and that goes to what i was saying earlier about the operationalization of data you know it's not being academic um, what is its true impact and i think government can be really ruthlessly honest about that did that data project that piece of ml work whatever it is influence my my bottom line and for government you know that means did it increase my efficiency by saving costs somewhere did it allow me to design an, an intervention that helped in a situation and avoided an implicit or an explicit cost did it allow me to recoup lost revenue through for, through fraud as hark was saying a second ago um I think that with that kind of approach, you know, that the public needs to, to trust that projects that may use their data uh, are having a good result for the country. And the great thing about data, of course, is that that is measurable. Uh, and so government can show that positive impact. That's how I think, uh, you know, HMG at large should be evaluating success when it comes to data. Yeah. Let's bring it into the real world with real outcomes as opposed to just isolated sort of internal internal metrics and so on. So and you mentioned you mentioned ML and and obviously AI. And I suppose with these new tools at government's disposal, the question is then what should they do with them? You know, I think most most people would say that we've taken we've taken the step into reality now. It's it's not sort of hypothetical. There's there's lots of good use cases at play in government. So how can government actually start to incorporate some successful projects around AI and, and ML? Uh, I guess we flip that is, is should they, you know, you know, where, where is appropriate? How much is appropriate? There are, all, I appreciate there are all these caveats that immediately just kind of rear their head, but what's your take on, on that? I'll, I'll give a real, a real hot take for you. And then heart can, uh, Hot's heart the better. Can, yeah. Heart can make me, make me look more sensible. So uh, my, my my very short answer is that AI or ML only has a role when it's not the output. You know, think about a classic example, Spotify, Spotify, sorry. The, uh, the output is a list of songs, podcasts, gigs you might like. Um, versus if you contrast that with a model on a slideshow, you know, that is not an output. The output is a list of options to, to choose from with some opinion on which is better for you. Um, it's not a kind of paper-based uh, exercise. Yeah, and from my perspective, you know, uh, the, the intent of the question, when should we use AI and, and what are the important things to get right? I think, I think, you know, from our perspective, we, we, we quite strongly advise our customers, both in private and public sector, to invest in getting your data right first. I mean, the promise of AI, you know, won't be realized until that is done. I mean, this has been, you know, the foundational lessons for us as a company uh, across our customers. And, you know, while AI is a concept um, people immediately latch on to, um, AI needs to be earned. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a long journey. Uh, you can't jump from zero to AI. And, and why do I say that? So, you know, if you think of a, a truly autonomous system, it's, it's as good as the data that you feed into it and the ability and its ability to, to handle the noise. Uh, and if you think of autonomous systems around you that work, uh, what examples, you know, do you, do you come up with? You know, when I thought about this, like, you know, it's like, I remind myself, I remind myself of, 
the the robotic arms on the on the factory floors, which is like assembling various parts together into maybe a complex machine like a car. But what happens when there's a slight misplacement of a part that needs to be assembled on the assembly line? Uh, the machine is sort of like doesn't know where to go, and it just the whole assembly line uh, stops. So. You know, and of course that requires a human being to come in and, and fix the situation. So this misplacement of the part in this example, this is, is, is essentially is essentially noise, and and the AI, which is like you know the model which is driving the robotic arm, um, is very it's, it's very brittle. Um, so you know if you if you move the context back to sort of like data projects, the natural question becomes how do we build a strong AI capability in in operations and and you know. And for us, it's like the, the lesson has been that in order to build these high precision models or algorithms, no matter what the context is, you need to feed them with the data that's high signal. And you need to enable to make these models or train these models, as you, as you say, in, in the industry to robustly handle the noise. Um, I think, I think one thing I would, you know, it would be remiss of me to not mention is it's like, it's, an, it's quite unfortunate that, um, you know, there's a lot of excitement around AI and a lot of investment. I think. Departments are, in fact, overinvested in 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 these tools, these you know uh, the, the the new buzzword tools, and underinvested in tools that can enable me, enable them to manage the complexity of the data that feed should feed these AI and ML models. Um, so it leads us to an interest, interesting paradox, um, which is uh, on one hand there is there is you know a desire to employ employ advanced analytics and AI to your operations, but on the other hand. Uh, and you know, as we've been talking about earlier, the data uh, that you need to feed into them is 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 very fragmented. It's constantly growing. There's a a, a tremendous amount of entropy that that needs to be handled uh, to uh, to to feed to feed into these models. So it's constantly working against you. So it's becoming harder to do model development or AI development or analytics because it's it's getting harder to represent reality faithfully. Uh, in data because the data is just growing so fast. Yeah, and I, I suppose I, I'm interested in kind of following on from that because there is always this kind of attraction of the new shiny thing and the potential that it can unleash. And I, I'm curious whether you're sort of seeing other concepts and buzzwords and potential technologies emerging that have a kind of similar level of, uh, not risk, but the government needs to be careful about before sort of leaping into it um, so that, you know, database projects are built on those right foundations. So any other areas where you're kind of seeing this this similar kind of rush to the new? Yeah, I, I like the phrasing of the question because I think government is generally very, very thoughtful um, and, and very advanced in its thinking about a lot of these complicated topics. And so, you know, it's not sort of um, a question uh around oh you know let's pick on something but just where can government get more value by being a bit more careful about about jumping into something um the the one that strings to springs to mind for me is a digital twin um, you know that's that's a phrase that has a lot of different interpretations and, and uses i think um i think a digital twin is a really useful framework um to help point data at, at real world outcomes um but it's not an outcome in and of itself, kind of similar to what I said about, about AI and ML. You know, like here is a digital twin of all government property, you know, cool, but but completely pointless unless there are some decisions that need to be made. And, you know, the digital twin can be operationalized to help with those. 
Um, otherwise, it's often just an exercise in government sort of thinking it's being digital by putting things on a map or on a diagram. And I, and I do see that a lot, I'll admit. Um, and I think an, another way to, to think about it um, on digital twins is digital twins t take the nouns of your department or your business, you know, your domain, those key nouns and turns them into objects. And a good one will populate those objects with everything you as your organization knows about that object, kind of regardless of what data source the information is coming from, you know, the, the data integration is really important. And a good government example of that is, is at the border where obviously historically uh, the UK government has kind of federated out operations at the border to, to different operators and uh, departments and agencies, et cetera. And therefore the data sources are very fragmented around the border, but government can, can bring those together and have, you know, ev everything that it knows about a consignment that's headed for the border or, uh, you know, the, the ferry journey that that's headed, headed over to the UK border. That's, that's possible. But, you know, again, that's literally a pointless exercise uh, unless the digital twin also encodes the, the dependency between objects like you can't go there without going here first or how changing something over here would affect this other thing. I mean, you can imagine just playing on that borders theme, how many examples of that there are of the, the codependencies and stuff. Um, but maybe more subtly then to advance on that, what's the point of having nouns with no verbs? You can't do anything to affect your operations. You know, so how can you take actions on that digital twin and then influence the real world? Um, as far as I know, only, only our software offers that capability. Um, maybe, I, maybe I'm being a bit, a bit harsh. So the, the, the flip side on, on digital twins, I picked on them for a while there, so I'll, I'll, I'll wheel it back. Digital twins, they do, they do achieve a couple of things. Um, they're very good at a semantic translation of data into something which is business first. Um, so I think that is a good path to democratizing that, that data. Um, that's really powerful. Um, and then for government especially, done really well, digital twins do allow the kind of what if scenario analysis to be run over the twin itself. Um, and the way I say that that's good for government is, is obviously that's really great for policy decision-making. Um, so less operational and more in the policy sphere, digital twins can be really helpful. Although, you know, to, to continue to hammer them a little bit, most digital twins don't get anywhere near that, that capability at the moment. And that, there's, there's a couple of strands there, but also if you if we look back across the whole conversation, which is around the, there's technology and there's data, but then there's also the organisation, there's, there's decisions around what to pursue, what not to pursue how do individual teams and people view technology, which I guess sort of sets up that, that contradiction of technology versus people and culture and mindset. So to what degree do you see the, actually the success of data and data projects as being a kind of people, culture, mindset thing versus the pure technicality of the data exercise itself? Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's, I think that is fair. Um, and I think that the mindset change in government um, is probably, it's, it's probably twofold um, as, as a first part. So firstly, I think data is a, a core capability. Um, and I regularly, in fact, really often see a divide between policy colleagues, operational colleagues, analysts, and technologists, where 
data is kind of seen as the purview of some and not others. Um, and I do think that's changing, I'll say. Um, I, I think that using data better is everyone's responsibility and those kind of silos between different groups uh, will come down over time, but anything that can accelerate it uh, is great. Um, and then secondly, uh, sort of predictably, given my focus on operationalization, data is it's not an academic thing. Um, it's real world. It's most valuable when it's pointed at real world problems um, and operations and used to really improve the kind of decisions that, that HMG is making thousands of times a year, you know, often at the intersection of, of public services and the ultimate customer who is the public. Um, and so I think moving away from data as a, as a topic uh, to data as, as something operational, that's got to be the second kind of major mindset shift that's needed um, to, to, to get these data projects right. That's really interesting. And, and I suppose as we sort of draw to a close, looking across all of the topics we looked at here, thinking about the, the complexity and scale of data across different government agencies, I'm going to ask you a really unfair question just because I like to always do throw one in there. So looking across that whole data piece, do you have a kind of key bit of advice that you would share with public sector colleagues around how they could actually get the best from their data, how they can make a success of it? Um, I suppose I can go first. Um, I think, you know, being being a techie at heart, um, you know, I think the, the first thing I would say, or, you know, maybe the most important thing that I would say would be um, on, on the same sort of like note of, um, yeah, it needs to be earned. Uh, there, there, there are going to be steps along the way uh, that you must take on um, uh, before before you can achieve sort of like more of a, um, you know, connect, connected AI sort of like promise of AI. And these steps, uh, you know, things like building a data platform and, and consolidating data are just like the first um, the first few steps along on this journey uh, you have to really think about as you mentioned upskilling your teams giving them the uh, you know giving data to them in the right language so that they can wield it um, ask questions off it without needing um, a center of excellence so to say uh, they can be independent and they can work uh, work on improving their operations independently without relying on a central team so to say so I mean they're, they're you know the question is unfair. There are tons of there are tons of challenges, of course. Uh, so you know, honestly, just just come talk to us. Uh, we've had to wrestle uh, with a lot of these challenges over the past few decades uh, while delivering uh, thousands of use cases uh, across the customers. So, and some of the concerns, you know, I really empathize with. Uh, it they may feel orthogonal to each other, especially in the most sensitive uh, and skeptical of data environments presented by the governments, right? So. Um, you know, how do I deliver a new service uh, to citizens and ensure data and privacy is, is protected? And these challenges are hard to wrestle with. Um, so I would personally love to share these more stories with you, uh, with more folks, uh, explore how we can help you build a system uh, to meet your unique challenges. Over to you, Harry. Um, I think it's, I think, I think it's take it step by step, get someone in the business to admit they have a problem, isolate the decision that they're making that could be improved and work backwards from that decision to the information that they need to make that decision better. And then I'd say start, you know, run a pilot, prove the concept that you can improve that operational decision in a measurable way. Um, and that's, you know, your first data project. That's how they basically all go, but they, they build off each other. Um, and if you set them up in that way, um, then you can drive some pretty monumental change uh, pretty pretty quickly. 
It's easy when you know how, right? Um, and Mark, <laughs> you, you said, you know, come talk to us and you're looking forward to sharing war stories and so on. And great that, that the Palantir is going to be a principal conference partner at the Government Data Summit that's coming up uh, on the 20th of October, where I know your subject matter experts are joining us to co-host uh, a series of discussion tables where our public sector community are coming together, a series of data leaders coming to share ideas, collaborate, maybe cry on each other's shoulders, whatever it, whatever it takes <laughs> to kind of get these issues out into the open and start to talk about what's working, what's not working, how they're making a success of some of those data-driven projects. So look forward to hosting you uh, on 20th of October in London at Church House in Westminster. It'd be, it'd be a fantastic day and really productive. But uh, in the meantime, I think we, you know, we've, we've probably run up against time, but just want to say to you both, Harry, Hark, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, yeah, it's been our pleasure and uh, really looking forward to engaging with the broader community at the event. Thank you, Tim. So there we have it. Thank you again to Harry and Hart from Palantir Technologies for joining me for that fascinating conversation, exploring all things government data. And with that in mind, it's great to say that Palantir will also be joining us as a key partner at the Government Data Summit on the 20th of October at Church House in Westminster. They'll be hosting a series of roundtable discussions exploring the biggest challenges around data. And we'll be joined by 150 government practitioners in data from UK and overseas who will be sharing their ideas and insights and best practice to develop collaborative solutions. It's going to be a fantastic day. And if you're interested in attending, then follow the link I'll attach to the episode with the show notes and you can start your application process. That's about it for now, but we'll be along soon with another conversation with a public sector change maker. But until then, goodbye.